For over 27 years, LearnIt has helped more than 2 million individuals develop new skills and empowered them with confidence to thrive in an ever-changing workforce. We welcome you to the LearnIt podcast, where we come together as employees, managers, executives, and learning champions from across the globe to take time to focus on our professional development. Together, we will tackle today's toughest challenges and dive into the topics that are key to success in today's workplace. Stay tuned to listen and learn from LearnIt expert instructors and the LearnIt community in order to upskill, reskill, and achieve overall success in your career. To learn more about LearnIt and our diverse offerings of soft skill, business application, and health and wellness workshops, please visit www.learnit.com. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. Uh, before I start, I want to uh, 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 share with everyone that I met the uh, uh, LearnIt folks uh, 25 years ago. Um, our relationship and friendship has evolved over the years, so I'm really happy to partner with them um, and also to work with my dear friend, Bill Schmarzo, where we have uh, team talk courses, uh, have uh, provided workshops locally and globally, as well as doing some research um, uh, around data science and economics. So this is a wonderful way to say also uh, uh, happy uh, Juneteenth and welcome again, everyone. So uh, let's go to the next slide here uh, quickly. Uh, what I would really like to do is to talk to you uh, briefly about the course that we are offering, part of the Menlo College Executive Education um, uh, Academy. Um, I strongly believe, our college believes, we are in the heart of Silicon Valley, we're 97 years old. Um, we are integral part of the Menlo College, the executive education. And one of the key drivers for us is really the overall mission to contribute to the development uh, for local and international businesses, individuals, and organizations. Um, we pride ourselves in everything that we do uh, in collaborating with partners like uh, uh, LearnIt and bringing on some uh, professors uh, who are experts in the field from Silicon Valley like Bill Schmarzo uh, to really provide uh, uh, the result and the needed information and to share the knowledge. Um, as we continue through this journey, I'll, we'll go to the next slide, um, our really objective part of the executive education to share knowledge, but really spread the wealth of what we know with others. And in return, they will do the same. So the course we're gonna be offering in September, primarily led by Bill Schmarzo, um, it's, it's really about sharing understanding between data science and design thinking. Um, how the two really intertwine. We often uh, see people taking courses or workshops or reading books um, or working in silo in design thinking or they work in silo in data science. Uh, our goal and objective, and we've been working on this course for quite some time, is to really show how they intertwine and to really focus on some great insight that you can get out of it. Um, and therefore, uh, the innovation and creativity and the strategic doing and the methods you'll be learning in this class will be intangible. Uh, we'll go to the next um, slide, please. So the course will have three st uh, streams and we went over and over the streams quite some time to really uh, flesh them out. 
stream one will be defining value. What is really, what do we mean by value to you, to your organization? Um, you know, business outcome curriculum setup, uh, setting up the story, um, the impact and process of change that you need to do. And then obviously the design thinking makes data science more relevant with the, with the, uh, 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 by the, when you finish the course. Stream two is really applying data science. Um, so we're gonna do a quick introduction in the course to data science, and uh, we're gonna take a deep dive into AI and machine learning. So you learn through some uh, uh, business cases and some exercises and group dynamics, how to do some of that. Uh, stream three, we focus a lot and Bill today will be spending more time talking about it. We're gonna really stay away or we're gonna move from outputs to outcome. And uh, like I said, we'll elaborate a lot more uh, during his presentation today. So the innovative doing, uh, the ethical uh, AI and confirmation of biases and why data science projects fail. Failing is not bad if we learn from it. And again, Bill will talk more about that. Uh, going to the next slide, please. Uh, some of the key takeaways uh, for today, uh, using a human-centered approach to design thinking that is intertwined with data science, but also using data science techniques to identify patterns, opportunities, and to really help you and your organization to make the best or optimize your decision-making. Um, the goal also to design and improve products, systems, experiences at any scale, small or big, nonprofit, government, academia, uh, uh, you name it, and informed by testing and analysis. And last but not least, we hope you take away today how to refine your own personal skills using design thinking methods to eventually generate a rigorous value solution to your own businesses and challenges. Next slide, please. Um, and the big question is who should enroll? I'm not gonna go through this. Anyone and everyone who works in any organization that has data, anyone and everyone who works in any discipline that they feel that they're lacking a little bit of design thinking or a little bit of data science, or they question, how do you put the two together to really focus on the outcome? So if you are one of those people, we invite you to take our class or our course in, in uh, uh, September, and we'll talk about it toward the end. With that said, I'm going to pass it on to my dear friend, Bill, to take it from here. Thanks, Muwafa. Um, and um, the, the key point that Muwafa made in this introduction is at scale. How do organizations drive innovation at scale? And what we're gonna do is we're gonna show you and teach you hands-on a process, a methodology with techniques and tools for how you can drive innovation at scale. It's gonna involve not only have you know, machine learning, but also human learning, which is driven by human empowerment because we want to drive towards business outcomes. We wanna make that transition that Muafa alluded to that not focus on delivering technology-based outputs, but deliver business and operational outcomes that have meaningful, relevant, and quantifiable value. A lot of the conversation and a lot of the class is based around some very basic economic concepts. And the most important one of which is that data is not just the byproduct of the business, 
In many organizations, data is becoming the business. And we're already starting to see organizations out there, a small handful today, who are exploiting and harnessing the economic power of data. The, the, the companies on the right-hand side there, the Apples, the Googles, the Microsofts, the Amazons, these are organizations that intrinsically know that data is the new oil in the sense that data is the catalyst for the economic growth in the 21st century. And by the way, you can see from this chart how traditional thinking using an accounting approach totally undercounts the value of data and analytics. You know, the, the growth of tangible assets across these leading organizations is growing very slowly. But you can see the asymptotic growth of intangible assets that includes the unique economic aspects of data and analytics. And so we're going to teach a process and methodology for how organizations can figure out how do they exploit that economic intangible assets. The whole process for us starts with a very simple question, which is how effective is your organization at leveraging data and analytics to power your business models, right? This is the data and analytics business model index. It's not an index that measures how effective you are from a technology perspective, but it actually looks at how effective you are at leveraging data and analytics to drive the business, to transition the organization from using data and analytics to create reports and dashboards that tell you what happened to jumping over the analytics chasm using a concept we call nanoeconomics to uncover customer product and operational insights or predicted propensities that are buried in the data that you can use to optimize the business. But there's also beyond just the optimization of the business, we talk about monetization. But listen here, I mean, we don't talk about data monetization. People, the main focus isn't on selling the data. The main focus is how do you use the data and the insights about your customer product and operation? How do you use that data to drive new sources of value, new partners, new customers, new channels, new audiences, new consumption models? And finally, it, it does evolve to this area we call digital transformation, which is all about creating a culture of constant, continuous learning and adapting, both from machine learning perspective, which AI can naturally do, but equally important is how do you do that from a human perspective? How do you empower the humans in the process? How do you, how do you optimize that AI to human interface that drives that continuous learning and adapting? Because in the 21st century, the organizations that are gonna succeed, and by the way, we saw this out of the pandemic, were those organizations that could pivot more quickly. Who could who could adapt more quickly and i'm going to argue they who could learn more quickly we spend a lot of time on the data and analytics business model index because it provides a foundation for helping organizations understand what does good look like when you ask organizations how effective are you most of these organizations look at you like you got lobsters crawling out of your ears well we don't have any idea how good we are we don't know what good looks like so we created this index in order to help organizations number one understand where they sit benchmark vis-a-vis -vis their other, other players in the space and what good looks like. But we also wanted to give them a roadmap, a path for how do you become more effective? How do you transition from just using reports and dashboards to monitor the business? How do I predict? How do I prescribe? How do I monetize? And how do I create an autonomous organization that's continuously learning and adapting? That's the ultimate challenge for an organization. And we, we walk through this foundation because what happens from this is we're going to then, oh, first off, before I, before I go any further, Moafa, this is on you. And you're on mute. There we go. Thank you, Bill. Um, 
Well, uh, we would like to take a minute here and then Carly, we will show you a poll about data and analytics business model. Our question to you, at what phase of the data and analytics business model index does your organization sit? So take a minute and respond to the poll. All right, awesome. Thanks, Bill. I'll go ahead and launch the poll. Marfa, ready? Yes, thank you. All right. So it looks like, Bill, uh, business monitoring got 63%, where business inside got 33%. Maybe we need to uh, uh, chat a little bit about business monitoring. Do you have anything to add to yeah, this, I think this is very, very consistent, Moafa. And to be honest with you, I'm surprised the number is not higher. Um, I find that most organizations really, their use of data and analytics is really on monitoring the business, which is a great place to start. Right. Nothing wrong with having reports and dashboards that tell you what happened, identifying those KPIs against which you're going to measure progress and success. The challenge is that is that analytics chasm and organizations really struggle to get across that because the chasm is not it's not a technology chasm. It's a cultural and economics chasm. It's a chasm about how do you really exploit the unique economic value of data and analytics. So I'm not surprised at 63 I thought I'd be higher. I'm actually impressed that we've got a couple of folks who are actually in digital transformation phase, who are who are actually building out the, the AI human interface to really drive that continuously learning uh, autonomous organization. So um, the, the poll is, is, is better than I would have thought. But again, I, I, I think many organizations struggle with crossing over that chasm. And then once you cross that chasm, I think things flow more smoothly. Great, thank you, all right. Thank you, Carly. All right, I'm gonna awesome. I close this. Okay. So the, the process we do, if, if we really are seeking to advance along that maturity model here, to move from the business monitoring where we had 60 plus percent of the people to really get across that chasm and start thinking about how do we predict from the insights, the predictive propensities of our customers, product and operations, and use those predicted propensities to optimize how do we take the insights about our customers and products and create new sources of the revenue? We find that, and what the class is heavily focused in on is surprisingly starts by understanding what's of value to the organization. We spend a lot of time focused on how does your organization create value? Now, I, my data science team actually spends an inordinate amount of time in this process here and understanding where is value created? What are the KPIs and metrics against which you're gonna measure success and progress? Because when you build an AI model, you need to have a robust set of variables against which you're gonna to try to optimize. If you optimize against too few variables, you get confirmation bias, you get terminators walking up and down the streets and like, such like that. So we spend a huge amount of time, whether, you're, whether you come from the data science side or the business side to make sure that Everybody is clear about what is the intent of the organization and how we're going to measure that. The next step in the process we go through is to bring together all the different stakeholders who either impact or are impacted by that initiative. Now, there's two reasons why we do this. Number one is we want to embrace a diverse set of perspectives 
AI models optimize best when they have a diverse set of variables against which to optimize. So we want to embrace diversity of perspectives, which by the way, is different than diversity of opinions, but we can talk about that over beer sometime. But the second reason why we wanna bring everybody in is because these projects tend to not fail because of technology. They tend to fail because you haven't created the right kind of cultural adoption for this. Bottom line, passive aggressive behaviors short circuit many of these, or many of these initiatives. And so you need to make sure that everybody who, who wants and needs to have a say has a chance to be able to say exactly what, why this is important to them. Because what happens next is we go through a very detailed process, a process we're gonna call thinking like a data scientist to identify the decisions and the KPIs against which the stakeholders are gonna have to make in order to support the business initiative. The decisions are the linkage point here. It's the key. The reason why decision points are, are key is number one, it's very easy to identify decisions. If you're a, on the business side of things, you know what decisions you're trying to make because you're already trying to make them. Number two, unlike questions, decisions are actionable. Number three, I can contribute value to decisions. Improving my decisions helps I can, I can attribute value to the decisions. And number four, the biggie from my data science background, data scientists know how to optimize decisions. So decisions are this magical secret sauce that brings the, the business and the data science teams together to help drive and deliver AI and ML models that are relevant, meaningful, and quantifiable. And by the way, once you've decided that, once you've gone through a process to identify, validate value, and prioritize the decisions, which by the way, tend to cluster into use cases, then everything else, what analytics you're gonna need, what data and instrumentation, what technology, what architecture, everything else falls out. But it's a start at the top process where we know there's value and make sure that our data science initiatives bolstered by design thinking are delivering value versus starting at the architecture and technology, trying to work our way up and hoping that we run into value. Remember, hope is only a strategy in the cosmetics industry. And so we're not gonna take a strategy of hope and how we deliver value to the organization with data science. So what is data science? Let's be really clear. The, the concept behind data science is really simple. All we're trying to do with data science is identify variables and metrics that might be better predictors of performance. That's all we do. The entire data science process is all geared around that, trying to identify variables and metrics, right? Which combinations of variables, which, which enrichment techniques. The people who tend to have the best ideas, which variables and metrics you might wanna test are the business users, not the data scientists. The business users, they're the ones on a day-to-day -day basis have their hands dirty. They're working with customers and running the operations. Those are the people who have been undervalued for too long. And an interesting point about AI is that AI is going to actually make those people more important in the process because their domain knowledge and expertise is of huge value in trying to optimize that AI to human interface. And so data science is about what we're going to do is, as you can remember from that, that data and analytics business maturity model, we're going to move from descriptive questions about what happened to predict what's likely to happen so we can prescribe actions. A data scientist without the tight linkage of the business person cannot do that effectively, effectively being the key term. So this is the data science process. This is, this is designed to scare you. If you're not a data scientist, you go, holy cow, that's a lot of stuff going on there, right? Let me tell you right now that the starting point for the data science process is how you define the problem you're going after. 
If you don't define the problem thoroughly and properly, if you don't bring together all the different stakeholders and thoroughly think through the KPIs and metrics against which you're going to measure progress and success, then the data science process that follows, which is highly iterative, exploring, rapid testing, rapid failing, learning, continuously processing, right, that will fail. Think about it. If you're flying from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., and you're off by one degree, you'll land in Baltimore. Right, so precision up front is really critical. And I won't go into a lot of detail, but I'll tell you right now, the only way that a data scientist knows that a model is good enough, and how do you determine a model is good enough, is if you know the cost of the false positive and false negatives from the model. The only people who can tell you what the cost of the false positive and false negatives are, are the business owners. So by their very nature, we see that data scientists and business users need to be joined at the hip in order to have effective data science process. And this is the methodology we teach. There's a, an eight step process. We've got templates for each of these things. We go through a series of group exercises. You will get your hands dirty. There'll be lots of active working, be lots of ideation, which by the way, is a reason why you think we weave design thinking throughout all this thing. It's very heavily driven by ideating and brainstorming. All ideas are worthy of consideration. Diverge before you converge. It's really all about walking through this process, but understanding it from a, it's a, from a design perspective, you're gonna try lots of ideas that aren't gonna be successful. Because remember, learning and optimizing is a failure-centric process. You can't learn if you're not willing to try and fail. And by the way, if you try and fail and don't learn, that's how people get fired. If you try and fail and learn, that's how you become promoted, right? That's how you master data science. So this eight-step art of thinking like a data scientist process is geared so that when you walk out of this class, you'll have a methodology and a process and a level of confidence to know that you can actually drive meaningful results back to the organization using data and analytics by embracing this design-centric process. Thank you, Bill. Uh, before we talk about the poll, I want to also mention part of the course people will be taking in uh, September. Uh, you'll get a copy of the book that was written by Bill about thinking like a data scientist, which has lots of rubrics, templates, uh, and exercises to help you out. We have used the book uh, in professional and academic settings, and we really got to this aha moment uh, from our participants. Uh, Carly's gonna be showing uh, our poll number two, strategic importance of data and analytics. How strategically important is data and analytics to your organization, business, and operational success? Notice Carly, I'm not singing this time, so I thought people would get annoyed by me. <laughs> I liked it. I liked it. We'll give people about five more seconds. Looks like we still have some results coming in. This is very interesting. We started with critically important, but growing awareness of importance is increasing. So we'll see where the result. Well, I mean, the, the good news, I know it's not quite finished yet, but I'll let, I won't say anything until it's finished. I want to skew the results, Hawthorne effect. All right, I'll go ahead and share the results here. Thank you, thank you. So growing awareness uh, of importance is almost 60%, uh, 58%. And the second one is critically important. Um, uh, uh, Bill, do you want to comment on the- Yeah, I, th I think this is, 
I got to tell you, I think what the most interesting one here is, is that only one out of the 36 people in the poll didn't know. To me, that's a really good sign that organizations are doing a good job of getting the word out. And the, 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 the fact that many organizations, many of the folks that it's critically important, they've sort of crossed that threshold, which is important. And the 58% who's, who's growing awareness, I, this, is, this is great. Um, I, I'm encouraged by this poll. Again, it doesn't really surprise me. The, the Pollyannish part of me would love to see critically important be 100%, but I've talked to enough companies to realize that, you know, no, it's not for many organizations, but the growing awareness is a really good sign. Thanks, people. This is good, good knowledge. Thank you, Carly. Thank you, Bill. Let me talk to you about design thinking. Design thinking is a mindset. It's really around how do you learn to speak the language of your customer? How do you learn to walk in their shoes? There is a well-defined process. And by the way, design thinking really has only come into vogue in the last couple, two or three years. It's been around for a while and most people think, oh, design thinking, that's all that soft foo-foo stuff, right? But I gotta tell you, soft foo-foo stuff, which means culture is more important than the technology. If we don't understand our customers, we don't understand the journey that they're on, what they're trying to accomplish, the decisions they're trying to make, what their impediments are, and ideally, what does success look like for them, then what the heck are we doing serving our customers? And so there's a very well-defined process that we go through to really start to from by empathizing with the customer to define their point of view, creating these journey maps, a lot of ideation, a lot of pro prototyping and brainstorming. You'll see some of the prototyping is done with post-it notes, right? And sometimes it's done on flip charts, right? You know, maybe you do it in PowerPoint, but there's a this is a highly iterative, try lots of things, all ideas are worthy of consideration. You, you brainstorm, they diverge, and you converge on a few ideas to test, and you're constantly learning and testing. And by the way, there is not an endpoint in this. Even when you ship a product or provide a service, you will find you've constantly got to be interacting with your customers. You've got to be constantly learning from your customers in order that you can better serve them. And there's some great tools out there that we cover in the class. Uh, the customer profile tool is a great way to get a feel for each of your different customer segments, what it is they're trying to get done, what decisions they're trying to make, what are their, their benefits or their gain, and what are their pains. So really getting a solid foundation to understand for each of your customer segments, you would build one of these. My favorite tool is this one. I love the customer journey map. It forces you to think and walk with your customers. Heck, you might even shadow a few of them. You might even go along and walk with them understand what they're trying to do. Maybe they're buying insurance. Maybe they're trying to fix a ride at Disney World, right? Whatever your customer is, you want to walk through the process, the five-step process from awareness to consideration to execution to review and sustain or retire. Understand the jobs to be done, the decisions to be made, the gains, the benefits they get, and what are the impediments or pains. I love this tool. This is my favorite tool. We actually create a version of this in the class that takes this and imagine down below, we, bring, we branch out all the data science requirements around the data, the analytics, and such. So it, this is a really powerful tool. And finally, creative customer value map. What's the customer going to get out of this thing? And what product or service do we need to provide in order to make certain that we are enhancing or highlighting the gains and minimizing the pains? You can't really deliver a product or a service if you don't intimately understand what the customer is trying to do don't understand what's of value to the customer and what their impediments are. Well, here's the surprising thing about design thinking. 
and data science. They're literally different sides of the same coin. The process we go through in design thinking to empathize, define, ideate, prototype, and test, sort of the human learning-centric process, maps almost one-to-one -to, -one to the process we learn, we develop in machine learning to analyze, synthesize, ideate, tune, and validate. They are literally different sides of the same coin. And when you bring them together, you get that AI to human interface that's continuously learning and adapting. It's exploring, but it also leverages the natural human aspects that machines don't have. What are the, what are the things that humans have that machines don't have? We have curiosity, right? We, have a, we need a process that fuels curiosity. We have creativity and our ability to take different perspectives and blend, blend and break them together. And finally, we have innovation, especially innovation at scale if we can merge design thinking and machine learning into the same environment. Let me build this out. One of the, one of the aspects of the class you're gonna learn about, so be ready to be bored, is about the economics of data and analytics. Now, I, this is a big topic for Moafa and myself because we know that when we talk to the business users, we need to understand and start talking about the economic aspects of data and analytics. We need to reframe the conversation away from data is a technology byproduct to data is an economic asset. Now think about it. Think about data as an asset, never depletes, never wears out, can be used across an unlimited number of use cases and can actually appreciate in value, not depreciate in value, the more it's used. Think about the power of that. There is no other asset that an organization has that behaves like that. And by the way, it's gonna require organizations to take an economics mindset, not an accounting mindset. Many organizations that have framed the data and analytics valuation question around an accounting framework. And accounting determines value in possession or what you, the value in, in, in exchange, what you've actually paid for that asset. But no, economics is a frame that determines value by how much you use it to generate more value, which is why a $30,000 car for me, for, for an Uber driver is worth more to them than it is a $30,000 car for me, because they're going to use that car to create more value. I'm going to use that car to sit in my, my driveway and have birds poop on it. So, right? So, this, it's an economics concept. And when we start framing this from an economics concept, we think about all the different valuable tools we have from, the, from an economics perspective, we can start employing them. Here's one, the economic multiplier effect. Think about the economic multiplier effect for a digital asset that never depletes, never wears out, can be used across an unlimited number of use cases and actually appreciates in value the more it's used. For example, let's say you've got customer point of sales data. Right? You've, you've acquired a customer point of sales data, you put it into your data lake, and your sale organization is going to use that to improve promotional effectiveness by 2.5%. Now, I don't know what 2.5% is worth. Maybe it's only 2%, whatever it is. The bottom line is that sales is going to use that data to drive material financial value. They're going to improve effectiveness by 2.5%, which has some value. Maybe it's 500,000, maybe it's 10 million. Depends on the organization. But wait, there's more, right? Marketing can use that same exact data set at zero marginal cost to improve customer acquisition by 2%. Call center can use that same exact data at zero marginal cost to improve customer retention by 3.5%. You can see the story here. You can see how on a use case by use case basis, I can reuse this valuable data asset to drive material business impact. You can start to get a feel for, holy cow, I'm getting all these use cases and the marginal cost of using my data 
is zero, which, which comes to the, the, um, the end here, at least for me, which is the, my attempt to get a Nobel Prize, which is around the Schmarzo Economic Digital Asset Valuation Theorem, which is around digital assets that never deplete, never wear out, can be used across an unlimited number of use cases at zero marginal cost, but also can appreciate in value. There are three effects that happen when you treat your data and analytics with a combined, combining this data science and design thinking process enables these three economic effects. Number one, your marginal costs flatten. As you're reusing the data and analytics at some point in time, the data and analytics that you need have already been built. So in many cases, it's like cobbling together Lego blocks to attack the next problem. When you've already got the Lego blocks here, I'm just gonna have to cobble them together. So over time on a use case by use case basis, your marginal costs flatten. Number two, the economic value grows because you're shrinking time to value and you're accelerating or de-risking use cases as you go use case to use case. By reusing the data and analytics, you're accelerating the time to value. The next use case happens faster and you're de-risking it because you've already built out most of the data and analytic assets. Again, these, these two effects alone, one and two, should be a reason why 100% of companies should think data and analytics is a critical, is a critical aspect in their organization. It is what will define the winners, differentiate the winners from the losers in the 21st century. But there's one more effect. This is an effect of continuously learning and adapting, of building assets that actually, the more they get used, the smarter they get. Because what happens is any of the data assets or analytic assets that you improve through this process, those improvements, those, those improvements in effectiveness ripple through all the other previous use cases that used that asset. This is, this is, there's nothing out there that behaves like this. There are no assets out there that behave like this. And we go back to that very first chart that showed those five companies that were way ahead and how they were exploiting the economic value of data and analytics. They've cracked the code on this. They know that. They treat data and analytics not as a technology byproduct to their operations, but for more and more of those organizations, data and analytics is their business. Uh, poll number three is about relevance uh, of this class so far to your career. How important do you think this class is to your own personal uh, development? Um, Almost 90% fall between critical, critically important, somewhat important, and growing relevance to my career. Um, almost 14% says not relevant or I don't know. Yeah. Um, this, is, this, is, this is good. If you yeah. focus on that middle part, that's 90%. This is fantastic. So uh, we're glad to hear that. Thank you, Carly. Yes, this is very good. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Learn It podcast. We wish you well on your learning journey and see you next time.